This is the strangest story I have ever heard Take a seat, grab a drink and listen to my words where two buds talk trash about how their favorite shows begin. We're the two buds. I'm Alex. And I'm Ethan. Yay! And we are talking about Midnight Texas and Doom Patrol today. Yes, we are. I, uh, we've been talking over the last few days, as friends do. Yep. And I know I was supposed to watch Doom Patrol, and I just want to say I started like three other shows in that span. I started Dimension 404. And I am almost done with the new season of uh, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Oh, I've seen a couple episodes of that, but I haven't actually seen the pilot, I don't think. So I just, uh, I, I was a professional over the last few days, I guess. And there you I've, go. I've also watched maybe most, of, if not all, of season one of Fleabag. It's fine. I don't have a problem. I just really enjoy TV. <laughs> yep. I mean, that's what we're here for. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, what brought us here. It's, we're here to discuss TV shows. Do we need to flip a coin to see who goes first? Uh, sure. I don't, I mean, do we want, I'm assuming we have an idea which one is the better show of the two. <laughs> do we want to start with the bad or the good is the question. Let's start with the bad. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Midnight Texas, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, already we have determined it's bad before you even <laughs> tell you what it's about. So. And you can't see my like shit-eating grin. I'm so glad you watched this, Ethan. So glad. Ugh. Well, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, for everyone listening, she even made the mention, of, like, we were both watching our shows at the exact same time, and the message thread is amazing. <laughs> Just the sense she's like, oh, I treated you poorly. Why are you spoiling me with such good shows? And I'm, yeah, I don't know why I am, because after that, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think... no more good shows. I'm going to edit the entire lineup. <laughs> it's like, I forgot that he was watching Midnight Texas during this, so I sent him a message and I was like, wow, yeah, I'm really spoiled. You keep sending me good shows. It's like, yeah, I'm about to start Midnight Texas. And I was like, oh, no, I'm oh, treating no, you terribly. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> this this friendship is ending. <laughs> so, yes. So Midnight Texas is your, your NBC pilot show that's trying to cash in on what they had with, I'd say, Grimm and a couple of their other, like, supernatural shows. They're trying to keep what they were competing with Lucifer, I think, at the time. And so they're trying to have some sort of supernatural, edgy, sexy show that I think may have missed the mark in a couple of places with the pilot, but, um, so let's just jump right into it. I don't even remember the characters, goddamn. It's so unimportant. Hold up. <laughs> yeah, not, not for this just, show. Just I've... give the character types. <laughs> What's I'll the brand? I'll just give the archetypes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we, we start in, t picture this. This is the opening shot. You're seeing a skyline of Dallas, Texas. And there's a shirtless man with his back to you, and it looks like he has a bullet hole scar. So you're like, ooh, sexy, something's mysterious afoot. Turns around, this elder, uh, well, not elder, older woman, she's definitely a cougar, comes and shows up at the door. And he's like, oh, you, you keep on looking younger every time I see you. And she's like... Oh, just so you know, my rates go have gone up. I hope that's okay. And she's like, for you, it's worth every penny. And I'm like, oh my <laughs> god, this guy is definitely a gigolo. Psych, nope. He's actually a psychic. So, there's Were that. Were you worried that I sent you porn? No, I was just like, okay. where are they going with this? Is like, you know, they're giving that illusion. They want to... They want to flip it on you. So, yeah, we're dealing with uh, Manfred is his name. Oh, is it? Yeah, Manfred Bernardo. He's the psychic in the picture. Kind of, you know, average, scruffy-looking, decent-looking guy. Starts a seance, and he's talking to this lady's ex-husband or, or dead husband. Uh, and you think it's probably all an act or something like that. He's good at reading people. All of a sudden... What? Ghosts are real in this show because he shows up, possesses Manfred's body, and tries to kill the the woman. And so he ejects the guy out of his body, pretty much. Does some anti-ghosting. And, you know, he gets paid. He's going on his way because he's trying to get out of town, apparently. All we know is there's this 
phone call from quote-unquote Hightower, and you don't know what it's about, but the guy is chasing him down, so Manfred's on the run, because plot. <laughs> um, you just summarized the whole episode. I don't know, because plot, I guess. Uh. Because plot, I suppose. It's it's going to be a lot of that reasoning for this episode, for sure. Um, he apparently can communicate with his uh, grandmother, who is also a psychic or something, but their ghosts aren't like, you know, the chill, you know, just regular people ghosts they actually look like how they died or they you know they're trying to get that supernatural vibe they've got the ghosty smoke for it so but they're all you know milked over eyes and then they just look dead so not a very appealing power to have in a world i guess if they all actually look dead it's not fun um so she recommends he goes to midnight texas Roll credits. Um, <laughs> that's it. That's the show. Congrats. <laughs> that's it. Uh, so he shows up there. He sees it's a very quiet town. Um, he, When he's driving through town, he sees like a reverend. He sees a lady tending her garden. There's a couple other people. Then we're introduced to one lady who's wearing um, a big red wig, which I'm bummed out that it was a wig <laughs> and not just her actual hair color. Um, and this is what frustrates me because I only actually know this actress from like one movie and one movie only. I gotta pull up her her name, her character name, and then the actress. Olivia Charity is her name, and she's kind of like rough around the edges type. She doesn't welcome him. She's like, oh yeah, bye. And then, but her name is Ariel Kebble is the actor's name. And she was in American Pie Bandcamp, and I see her as nothing else than her character in American Pie Bandcamp. So she's a band geek. And lo and behold, she was, like, carrying a saxophone or a tuba or some shit. <laughs> and I was like, nerd, band nerd. Uh, yeah, trumpet, sure. You yeah, got it. <laughs> mm-hmm, trumpet, sure. Mm-hmm, something. Instrument of choice, you know. Uh, but then we meet uh, Manfred's quote-unquote landlord. He gives Manfred this house for a month. His name's Bobo. He actually hears he's a psychic and he kind of makes the joke or the statement's like, well, actually my ex-fiance's been, you know, missing for a couple of weeks. So I just, you think he could do a rating and then, you know, Manfred's trying to stay low and he, you know, to the rest of the world, no one knows about real ghosts. So he's like, oh, it's just, you know, smoke and mirrors. Basically, it's just really good reading. He's like, hey, okay, I get it. No worries. I just wanted to try it out with you. Goes to the bar to have dinner that night. He meets a really cool chick that he actually... All of a sudden, just is just swooned over. As soon as he sees her, just obsessed with her chick named Creek. Creek. Not River, Creek. And so she's like, oh, you got to come sit with the rest of the locals because uh, they apparently have, it's, you know, Podunk, Texas town, but it's also close to another town. All the other locals of that other town, I can't remember what it's called. I think it's Grady. Let's just say it's Grady for the episode. Sure. It's Grady. So everyone comes into Grady to eat, but all the locals come and sit over here and that's where we see uh you know the one girl again that's where we see uh olivia, olivia. and then we get to meet another character named lemuel bridger you definitely know he's some sort of like you already know that psychic is real so there's got to be other creatures or something like that right so this guy has like the bluest eyes like they are definitely like cgi'd or like contact <laughs> lens blue eyes and you're like okay what's this guy's shtick and you're seeing um, there's a biker gang called the Sons of Lucifers or Sons of Lucifer. They're creating some sort of issue because they're giving Creek a hard time. And all of a sudden, Lemuel is like, excuse me, I hope you don't mind. And Manfred's like, what do you mean? And all of a sudden, Lemuel just drops him to the table and just like starts like draining him or something like that. He's like, I just need to feed because he thinks there's going to be trouble. And so Manfred's going all gray and everything. And so he's like, oh, what, you're a vampire? And he's like, uh, among other words. And it's like, uh, OK, <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're you're just coming out with it like that one. You go ahead and do that like you're not in an enclosed space. You're not you're kind of like in that back room where everyone can still see what you're doing. And no one's looking at this. There's like a, it's a full bar. And so, you know, there's creatures now, apparently, and stuff like that. Apparently. Um, apparently. And he's like, oh, this is weird. And so he, the night ends, but, or he was going to, he was pretty much gonna, getting ready to leave again. Just leave this town because it's weird. But Creek invites him to their, like, you know, picnic or their festival tomorrow. 
And so he does end up going. This is when we meet the one of the other girls. She seems to be some sort of kind of like, you already know, they're not hiding it. She's kind of witchy. She does like, you know, you know, your typical you know, new age uh, plans and stuff like that. Oh, wait, by the way, we'll backtrack real quick. She left, her name's Fiji. She actually left cookies for Manfred in the new apartment. And so the next thing you see is them talking. So it's Olivia and Fiji chatting with each other. And it's like, they're getting really friendly. And Fiji's like, don't worry. I put like sand root in his cookies. So if he had bad intentions, he would be on the toilet right now. And it's like, did you just drug our new <laughs> neighbor? <laughs> And that's literally what they say. It's just like, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be drugging if he had bad intentions. So no, I did not. And that is her logic. Just a good neutral chaotic, some sort of chaotic there. It's like, okay, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Fiji. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. So Fiji. all of a sudden, you know, the, I think it's Creek goes to talk with her brother and stuff like that, but they're off on the side. All of a sudden then you see some screaming and they run over there and they find a dead body in the river. And it turns out to be Bobo's fiance, um, who's something. Audrey Aubrey. Aubrey, yeah. So there's a dead body. She has definitely been there for a while because they even describe the body is bloated and everything. The Grady Police Department comes in and you definitely get a little bit of bigoted sense that, you know, they don't like coming out here because they start saying Fiji's like a lesbian and it's like, okay she's like she's like she's some sort of witch or or lesbian and then manfred's like because that's a bad or thing. both why not both <laughs> yeah why not both and it's definitely this deputy lady that is just hates being out here the sheriff is trying to get statements and he's like all right no one's leaving the town until i get everyone's statements and until otherwise given permission by me so you're like okay there's a there's a murderer afoot or a mystery afoot um so bobo is obviously very distraught you uh they start collecting um statements but then manfred goes to bed that night and he wakes up and aubrey's bloated dead ghost body is there and she's trying to get help and he's like no you do not have permission to like you know possess me or blah 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 but she tries to write help on the window and he's like fine but we're doing this on my conditions and so he goes to get prepared to do some sort of seance um he actually goes and steals holy water from the church that's where we get to meet the reverend type character who is definitely not some sort of holy reverend or Christian reverend, because there are definitely, like, satanic pictures all over the, the walls in this church. And we, we've talked about this in the chat, but he has the most... I hate <laughs> his facial hair. For the audience, I don't know how to describe it, but it's literally like if he just decided to have five o'clock shadow, but only coming from the corners of his mouth down. It's literally It literally makes him look like some sort of puppet or something. And I don't know, maybe that's what he is, because this whole show's stick is what kind of creatures are all these people it's pulling off you know the good old um once upon a time um it's pulling off grim it's pulling off the gates all those shows like ooh, this is gonna be the cool mystery thing figure out everyone's dirty laundry throughout the entire show so he grabs the holy water he tries to get a seance from uh Aubrey and he starts doing it however he he's using the Ouija board and everything all of a sudden all these other ghosts show up and he's like no I was talking to Aubrey directly I didn't call for any of you all of a sudden the floor underneath him starts turning red and starts to bright up and it's definitely a hell's mouth type of scenario just you know they're they're sitting on hell or a ley line or something like that Manfred's ready to get out of town pretty much at this point because he's like, this is too much shit going on. I, I'm just trying to lay low and hide from stuff. Um, he's talking to his dead grandma. He's like, why'd you bring me here? He's like, oh, I used to stay here for a spell and stuff like that. But then, you know, he runs out of the room because of the, the glowing red uh, floorboards. And, of course, the police show up at that time and want to get his statement. And they're going to enter in, which this is where the <laughs> rules kind of break. Because when we saw previously with the, the cougar widow, she couldn't see the ghost and couldn't see her him getting possessed. Yet, all of a sudden, because the floorboards are glowing, he assumes that everyone's going to see that too. So he tries to hide it, and he's like, nope, you can't come in. And he's like, well, I need to take your statement, or you can come down to the office with us. But he says a word that, you know, the drowning Aubrey was trying to transpose, which is picados. 
And so apparently that's some sort of water refinery plant. So they find a body or a weapon there because Aubrey had been shot, but main cause of death was drowning. So they found the weapon there at the water refinery plant. I think I want to pause you real quick. I don't think he was mm-hmm. worried about her seeing stuff. I think it was more there's a lot of bad juju going in there and he didn't want her to get possessed or have her and like bad stuff happen to her. Oh, so we're just going to assume he's going to be noble and just, like, try to protect her. I don't... Okay. I think it's... Yes, you're true. <laughs> it's true. Tr- I, I, it's true. I, I, it's true, right? No, I, I don't think it's noble. I think he's lazy and doesn't want one more problem to have to fucking deal with. True. I just... When I watched it, though, it was the standpoint, it's like... Because he's looking back at this glowing floorboard that's coming out from... Also, the ghosts can't go through walls. <laughs> really? That's my thing. <laughs> They they stay contained in that one room because he just put this one charm around the doorknob. But before they he did that, one was charging at him and he just closed the door and it dissipated once it hit the door. What are these iron steel doors that we're dealing with? No, they're wood doors. It's midnight Texas. You you don't know. Apparently, we can't go through doors. That's the rule. Um, there's a lot of rules that I have issues with. What are the rules? There are no rules. Danny DeV- DeVito singing. What are the rules? But yeah, so we get that. He he helps them. So he's pretty much, you know, uh, a psychic consultant at this point for the police department. Olivia sees this, however, sees him getting out of the cop car, and she's not liking this whatsoever. So that's when Manfred's talking to his grandma again and just like, oh, you stayed here, blah, blah, blah. So he, because he's not even staying in the house at this point, because he's just like, you know what? It's all fucked up in there. There's a hole opening up or some shit. I'm just going to stay in my RV, which he's got a, I will admit, that RV is pretty sick. I do like that RV. Yeah, right? But then, yeah, Olivia just decides to knock on the door and he's like, oh, I was actually just going to, you know, leave or whatnot or what, or did you need anything? And she's like, oh, no, just you. And then takes her fucking knuckles, (laughs) her her good old steel knucks, and just knocks his face in, (laughs) goes and ties him up. And then Lumiere apparently is living with Olivier because he's a vampire who only comes out at night. So we're in nighttime now. And he's he's in nothing but his boxers. And he literally says, why was why is he in his underwear? And it's just because she wants to make sure he wasn't wearing a wire or he's not with the FBI. So we're already getting an idea that she doesn't, you know, the police and shit like that. And Fiji's there, too, because... Um, she's just like, what's going on? And so we have Lumiere, Olivia, and Fiji looking over Manfred in his boxers. And he's just like, I'm not doing anything. I'm not part of that. He's like, D-. Olivia's like, did my father send you? So, oh, we got we got daddy issues a little over here. <laughs> trying to figure out, like, sh- something. She's got weapons and everything. Uh, or she's got a gun on him and the knuckles. So she's obviously, like, packing heat. And so we're like, okay, well... So they allow him to get fully dressed after he mentions that his grandmother is Zelda. Zelda with the with an X. <laughs> if you if you watch it with captions, it's a Zelda with an X. Oh, okay. Yeah, just so you know. Good to know. Good good yeah. differential. Good detail to know. Um, not really. It just bugs me. Um, <laughs> and they're like, you? and <laughs> <laughs> what it bugs you? I, that I don't know. It just yeah. I don't know. Just the way they spelt it on the captions. I was like, okay, I'll go with it. I get it. They're Romanian, so they okay. they get a pass on all their. Um, I don't know. This show. I feel like you're fussy. Me. This is I'm this fussy. is fussy, Ethan, about this show. Yes, just because the the further I think on, I'm like, what? there's just certain plot choices that I don't understand, and we're gonna get to a big one right right here shortly. Okay, but they're like, oh, Zelda Lumia. Apparently, you know, he's lived there for centuries. Zelda passed by, and you know, he. This is where we get the the meat of the meaning of the town is people like us you know stick around hide here just so you know we don't get uncovered or or exposed you know we like to keep in secret which he broke his one rule right there in the first 15 minutes of the show by draining someone just like oh i don't know who you are i'm just gonna drain you exposure apparently isn't a big empire uh so he's like yeah he's cool he's not you know anyone we can't trust so lumiere lumiere you know Keep on seeing Lumiere instead of Lemure. Because I've noticed a few different Beauty name changes beast. throughout this. And I like this gimmick of us just trying our best at just, names. Just, we try our best. It's the pilot episode. I don't have any investment on remembering their names until episode three. <laughs> uh, uh, but so they let him go. He gets, you know, to put his pants and everything back on. Um, at this point, we have found out that Aubrey wasn't actually who she said she was. She was actually 
a wife of one of the big leaders of the Sons of Lucifer at this point in time. He had just gotten out of jail, so it's safe to say that he is possibly the one who killed her. However, he pretty much shows up at uh, Bobo's place. He's been drinking. He's been trying to, you know, he's been watching video of it. And so he's going to get in a big old fight with the Sons of Lucifer. And because the Sons of Lucifer believe it's Bobo that killed him. So, oh, no. It's not who we thought it was. There's someone else involved. So it's not Bobo. It's not the Sons of Lucifer. So who could it be? It doesn't matter because Sons of Lucifer are going to fuck up Bobo. But lo and behold, a lingerie laden wearing Olivia is shooting at them with the bow and arrow. Gets him right through the shoulder and pins him to a, to a box. And then Lumiere super speeds in there and eats the other one. And so... He tries to get answers from the Sons of Lucifer, but doesn't get any, so he goes ahead and eats them. Olivia disposes the bodies inconspicuously, so they couldn't be found or recognized, which, creepy. Also, and this is the issue I have, they were both in their underwear. Both Lumiere and Olivia were both in their underwear. I don't know if they're trying to say that they were just banging before this or some shit, and they got interrupted by the the stuff that was going on just down the street or something, but apparently they're all nosy neighbors, because... I think they live above the pawn shop. Okay, that's right. They do live above the pawn shop. But at the same time, there hadn't been a lot of noise at this point in time. It was literally, they had just walked in, maybe like batted a couple of things, and that was it. I think the show can best be described as session zero of a D&D campaign. Mm-hmm. Where everyone's trying to show off who their character is. And you're just trying to get to the hook of, this, of the adventure. They're just trying to prove that there's a sexy vampire in this. He's in a ro- he's in a silk robe. I'll give him that. So yeah, he's got a little bit of class. And then Olivia is definitely in like her black lingerie. And I'm just like, they didn't have enough time to get cl- one. They got undressed the scene before when they let Manfred go because she was fully clothed. Then Lumiere was still in his robe. I get that, but she got fully undressed and had to go shoot some people with a bow and arrow. Listen, there's no easier way to say that someone is in a relationship than if they show up in their underwear. Mm-hmm. Or to prove that they are sexy badass because they can shoot a bow and arrow in their underwear. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> I just... That resigned why? sigh. <laughs> just, just, okay. Yeah, like, I literally, like, just yelled why at the screen when I saw this happening. I thought it was an introduction to a new character, but no, when I saw her face, I'm like, why are you undressed? <laughs> You're not gray from fairy tale. You don't get to do that. I don't know this rule yet. <laughs> so they dispose of the Sons of Lucifer's body. Pretty much Manfred's going to get out, but Creek shows up and is Creek is going to show up and is talking to him just trying to get a read on him cuz she knows he's a psychic, quote unquote. She understands and actually apparently knows that what Lumiere is, so she understands that there are creatures. We don't know if she's one herself. She came to apologize because when he he stopped by the grocery store and she was working, her dad, Creek's dad, showed up and was like, you better not have been talking pretty with my, my daughter. Ooh, don't you do that. He's just being a big old papa bear, like, no, don't you get near my daughter. <laughs> and he's like, I, okay. Okay. Sure. <laughs> okay. And that's that. They, they're talking, having a nice beer. They're about to kiss. Of course. All of a sudden, the police show up. And they're there to arrest Bobo because it was Bobo's gun at the crime scene. Oh, no. And then this proves how nosy everyone is. He gets arrested and everyone comes out of there. Every single like building there of a town of like, it looks like 60 people. Although on the title credit card, it does say it's like 607 people living in the town of Midnight, Texas. So sure. there's that. Sure. But yeah, there's definitely like some odd, like 30 odd people out in the street watching Bobo get arrested and they're trying to blockade the police car in. They're just doing also Bobo, like the the sheriff isn't tactful about this. He literally forces himself to cuff like he literally force cuffs Bobo like he isn't like we need to take you in for the arrest of of, you know, Aubrey. And no, he just like you're under the arrest and he just like jumps in. He's like he like side tackles him to get him cuffed. And it's like, well, okay. I get it. He's in a he's in a, a suspect. You go in there, but he's like at the door, so you don't like wait to for him to get all out of the door. You just shuffle your way inside. And the deputy lady, she's all like, "I knew this town was weird. It's all super funny." And then this is when Fiji shows up, and she definitely shows her witchcraft powers because she, you know, uh, 
does like force telekinesis and is pretty much lifting the, the, the cop car and crushing it with everyone inside. And the deputy's like, see, she's the one that's doing this. She's the one that's doing this. The Reverend and Manfred both calm her down to say, hey, we don't need to do this because this is going to expose a lot of people. We'll work the system and get take, help take care of Bobo because they're family and families look after each other. Hmm. Does that sound like any other supernatural show that we know of? No, that's very no, original. no. <laughs> Yeah, but then this is when we, I think it was right before this, but we also get to kind of see the aspect of every other one of these characters. We see Olivia gets off the phone because she can't take a hitman job (laughs) because she can't, you know, because she has to ask permission to leave the town. And then she opens up her big giant wall and she got a wall of guns. She got that safe wall of guns. And then we find out Fiji, yeah, is definitely some sort of witch because she also has a talking cat who is definitely Southern. Is a definitely a Southern cat. I don't think I ever caught the name of the cat. And then the Reverend, we still don't know really a whole lot about him, but he definitely is taking down a he has a he has, literally has a pet cemetery. He has an animal cemetery outside of the church and he was seen taking a giant elk body, elk carcass down into the cellar of the church. I think it was a bull. Was it a bull? It was small detail. Yeah, bull elk. Or <laughs> Elks in Texas. I'm not sure. I don't think. Yeah, it was an animal of some sort with antlers. With horns. Yeah, but regardless, he is up to some. He also said when he was trying to calm down Fiji, tomorrow's a full moon, so you gotta. So we'll. We don't want any trouble there. So antics of rouse on a full moon, apparently. And yeah, so they're gonna help. Manfred decides to stay, help the town because he's found a family, apparently, and he's gonna take care of everything there. So. Yep, that's that's the episode. It ends there, and then you see that the floorboards have gotten even brighter, and it's expanding out of the house. So the hole is getting even bigger. Oh no. My favorite part of that is that the windows are this murder red, and you see the ghost silhouettes kind of pawing at the window, mm-hmm. like it's a zombie apocalypse house, or yep. some kind of haunted horror house. Haunted horror house, and they still can't get out of the house, even though the charm was on the other <laughs> door inside it. So did he just decide to, like increase the radius so they wouldn't feel cramped i don't know but something's gonna spill out eventually they're definitely alluding oh no midnight sits on like on a hellhole and it's all gonna break loose eventually because some mobbery probably did oh we didn't even talk about the other characters that are in this there's an angel apparently in this show his name's michael huh if i recall correctly huh go figure and his wings aren't just they show his wings spread out but then they take over his whole arms so he only has wings why is that a, as a visual and logistical standpoint would you do that you just limited your actor being on screen because you have to have these prosthetic winged arms if you ever want him to look like that i thought it was a cool so, visual it was yeah, different was, it was different than your typical angel it was a cool visual the way they the way that wings like pop out and then shroud him that's kind of, i was just like oh that's not comfortable that doesn't look and you comfy get the idea too that it's like it's not comfortable for him either like it's almost painful for yeah. him to put out his wings or even like retract them mm-hmm. because it's like because they're literally slits in the back yeah so more shirtless men Proving that it's definitely a sexy show for for teenagers. But it's cool because Michael is in a relationship with Chewie. He's in a relationship with Chewie, uh, who does. Nancy. Are they actually in a relationship? Yes, it's, it's, it's a. It comes up in a later episodes, but those those okay. are your token queer I figured, characters. I I figured as much because they also say Aubrey got tattoos there and she didn't approve of their lifestyle. And I I called it as soon as Michael said when the sheriff asks, and what did you think about that? He's like. I just smiled and treated her the same same judge free. It's the Christian way, right? I was like, oh my god, I oh swear god. to god, if he is an angel. <laughs> so I have a feeling you weren't a huge fan of the show. Not a huge fan. It, okay, I'll I'll give it credit. It it is definitely a pilot episode. <laughs> it they definitely leave enough threads open. I'm just frustrated that they decided not to kind of just give the murder as a plot to I'm sure we'll kind of it won't be a whole season long arc, but just that they're dealing with this murder for more than one episode to like, it'd be one thing if they, you know, it's classic plot where you get Manfred to help solve the murder and then he ends up being part of that murderer's vengeance or like, you know, they killed a murderer and so he's in this quiet pack to keep this thing secret and then have that crime throughout the series or something like that to further advance the plot for Arbery. I think Aubrey, obviously, and Bobo's got his own secrets. He's apparently a normie, but he has some other underground secrets or something like that, too. But we don't know until the next episode what's going to arise. So 
I told you this, I think maybe when you're midway through the episode, but it's important to know. And when I first watched this, I was excited because I like big cast supernatural shows. I'm just, I'm yeah. a sucker for them. Yeah. And I was watching this and I'm like, man, this feels like true blood. It just has some of the cadence to it. Some There's just something about this that's true blood. Yeah. And I looked it up. It's based off a book written by Charlene Whatserbucket, who wrote True Blood. So it was clearly her attempt at coming up with another show. Although this wasn't mm-hmm. HBO. This is... what uh, This it, is NBC. NBC, yeah. Yeah. So it was like it wasn't quite enough to get... Which you'd think after True Blood, this very successful show, that mm-hmm. HBO would want to pick up Midnight Texas. So I'm curious mm-hmm. what about the, the pilot episode. <laughs> I mean, we've watched it. But... That yeah. HBO was like, oh, no, we're good. We're, we're good on this market. Well, and I've never seen True Blood either, but I understand the premise of it. It is definitely Southern, you know, vampires and werewolves. It's got that whole interview with a vampire and Rice kind mm-hmm. of style of vampires to it. I feel like once you said that, I did see that. That's why I think, like, they're trying to show off, like, sexy characters or characters in their underwear because they're trying to, you know. Sex appeal. Yeah, sex appeal, class it up, <laughs> quotes, air quotes, just to get people interested or something like that. But making it tasteful enough that it can be on, like, you know, a big three network (laughs) rating TV show. I think, too, I'm going to ask what your favorite character, if you had a favorite character. I really like the vampire and Olivia, which, okay, what's the vampire's actual name? Lemuel Bridger. Bridger? (laughs) Lemuel, yep. And I know that actor, he's, um, he, I mean, he was, uh, he was the messenger in 300. um, Oh, Yeah. Yeah, and then he's he was also on Agents of Shield, also, which we talked to be this episode. He's I've seen him in a lot of stuff. He's uh he was also in Spartacus. He was the gladiator instructor in Spartacus. He was a gotcha. badass in that. So I was like, okay, cool. And, and I mean, his aesthetic, like his big blue eyes, and then he he doesn't have those standard vampire teeth. He kind of has like just the fangs separated down the middle. <laughs> so so what I really like about Lemuel and Olivia is that it, it's it's different it's a vampire but it's different it's the energy kind of vampire but -hmm. although he insinuates that the biting the neck vampires like oh yeah we get to do that too so it isn't just like one kind of energy source Mm -hmm. that vampires can tap into a lot of different ways but there's a scene too between him and olivia where olivia is just really stressed out and mad and he's like hey you seem angry can i have some of that and she's like yeah "Yeah, sure and so you really i've been waiting for you to ask (laughs) yeah and i think that was such a important moment of Hey, you knew there was a relationship. You're like thinking, oh, it's hot vampire sex. Sure, great. But mm-hmm. it's clearly beneficial for both of them where it's almost therapeutic mm-hmm. for her to have this this vampire for a woman who has a lot of maybe not trauma, but a lot of experiences and a lot of emotional outgrowth that's difficult to mm-hmm. live with that she can even out. I mean, it's fucking medication, right? Yep, and it's symbiotic. That he he's also aware even when he's taking energy from the psychic, like not to take too much. And he knows how to take care of people and it, he isn't... Mm-hmm masochistic by any means when mm. when you're when you're saying like oh i hope it's more than just the murder it does remind me a lot of supernatural where I, i'll be honest i never finished the episode or finished the season because they jump into that psychic creek uh relationship real hard real fast i'm like i would have preferred yeah. that to be a slow burn i'm done it's mm-hmm. the same thing with sword art online when that started happening i'm like i'm done i, I can't do this mm-hmm. too soon uh, not enough emotional connection uh mm-hmm. <laughs> too gross but um feelings without depth ew 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 gross pass i ew. i mean like ew gross pass with feelings with depth sometimes i don't know man yep. but uh i just i it's very monster of the week plus this overriding murder so you get mm-hmm. to learn more about vampires at some point you learn a lot more about creek and her family and you mm-hmm. get to learn more about fiji and her obvious crush on bobo and yep i enjoyed it up until the point where i cut off and I probably would actually read the books before I continue to read or watch the show. Mm. So it does have the book outlet for it. So. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll probably, as as much crap I'm definitely giving for it for being nitpicky about it, it, it wasn't a terrible viewing. It's just that when I was looking at it critically, obviously, like, my critic glasses came on. And so I looked at it differently than what I would have probably if I was just entertainingly watching it. So, yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't. It was a pilot. Yeah. It wasn't a great pilot. It wasn't a terrible pilot. It was a pilot. It definitely is something to get you to watch the show. I might just watch it until I find out what the Reverend's all about. <laughs> that's that's that mystery factor right there. If you can do a mystery factor like him, and that's what will keep me going to the show until I know about him, 
so you better have something to hook me until I find out about that if you want me to continue watching the show after I find out his whole shtick. He's definitely, they talk about the occult and everything through this episode too, and I'm like, yeah, he's definitely like some sort of occult or something like that. They also refer to a full moon, so I'm like, I swear to God, if he's like Father Werewolf <laughs> or something like that, I I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. I just can't get over the aesthetic choice to like for his facial mm-hmm. hair again. It, look it up. Look up Midnight Texas and look at the Reverend's facial hair. It literally looks like they should be scars or something. But no, it is literally five o'clock shadow, like from the corners of his mouth down, like some sort of marionette mm-hmm. puppet. It bugs me. It bugs me so much. So so let's give it a rating. Unless there's some, anything else okay. you want to nitpick about it. Um, No, I think we kind of touched on everything. Uh obviously i mean it's it's small podunk i kind of like the aesthetic of it being a small town and they definitely give it that feeling that since it's on like a studio lot it is like the one street town (laughs) that is like six cities or like six buildings wide and that's it you know everyone's gonna be in everyone's shit but at the same time when you have your title card and it says like population like 607 like Mm -hmm. i said or something like that i'm like you're not count if you're just counting that you need to like expand it a little bit more if that's the case otherwise you're still including the entire township of like ranches and farms that live in the area i get texas is big but it's not that small (laughs) i think that goes to show sometimes writers just don't know what small towns are because they didn't grow up in small towns Mm -mm. so they're like oh yeah 607 is a small amount it's like it gets so much smaller you don't understand no you don't understand let's go to richie they still have subplots and with those amount of people it's still bigger than what you're showing (laughs) us (laughs) So yeah, how um, out so, of eight ghosts locked in a room? Eight ghosts locked in a room. Okay. What do you give the show? Uh, mm, out of eight, I would say I'd give it. It's not a fifty percent. So I'd I'd say let's give it a. I'd give it a five out of eight. Five out of eight. Okay. Five out All of right. eight. It's not a failure. It's it's you know on the pl- positive side of a fifty percent. So I think you know again. For for what it was, I feel like the dialogue was definitely a little clunky, a little kind of predictable and two-dimensional. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it did have just enough intrigue and probably enough of a cast that it's interesting enough to keep you going, especially with what they're trying to convey as an overall storyline. And, oh no, there's this thing happening, and then there's this thing, and it'll all pop up in the future too. So they definitely gave themselves enough threads to, like, jump off of any one of those if they want to rock on you did yeah. you give it a better grade than i thought you would yeah yeah just wait until you give me a really terrible one and then oh my god i'll just like nope i'm not rating it <laughs> I, I think midnight texas might be one of the worst ones i've, I've sent you i i knew it'd be rough okay <laughs> you're welcome okay now we get to spoil you and discuss your show what did i give you i got to watch doom patrol yeah which i need to preface this in a way of I'm really exhausted with superhero media. I can't remember if I really got a chance to discuss this in season one. I just am sick of nerd culture being taken advantage of through Hollywood. You're tired of the superhero. You're getting the superhero fatigue. Yes. And I've had it for a while. When Superman and Batman came out, that's when I was done. Uh, Civil War was also I was pretty done with. Uh, I, although I've never really been a huge Marvel fan. But anyways, I say this just because I've never watched Arrow. People are like, you you like Green, Green Arrow, but you don't watch Arrow? I'm like, no, because it's on a CW show and I know how it goes. Teen drama. Pass. I tried watching Supergirl because I, I was on Tumblr and I was seeing a lot of cool stuff about it. But it's a CW show and I just, I can't. I freaking can't. It is. Technically, it was a CBS show for the first season. So maybe you'll like that season. I just, it's. <sighs> I think she would have made a really good Stephanie Brown. I think she makes a good Supergirl, but mm. I think she would also made a very good Stephanie Brown. Anyways, mm. I am tired of superhero stuff. That being said, I'm very excited for the Harley Quinn movie. But when <laughs> when Ethan recommended this, I was like, okay, it's going to be another superhero show. And let me tell you, they fucking opened up with that line. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, so this is going to be my kind of show. Yeah. Got it. This yeah. show came out on February 15th, 2019. It's a 58-minute long show, and it is on the DC Universe platform for all their, their shows. Mm-hmm. It's an exclusive for them. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to kind of rapidly go through this overarching nutshell that this is an origin story episode. You learn the origin stories of everybody in a quick flash note way, and you kind of rush to the plot of what they're going to be doing, presumably for the whole season. So uh, 
<laughs> that's my favorite kind of episode because it's origins. And I I will sit and watch origin stories mm-hmm. and then not really do anything else. Oh yeah, everyone enjoys a good origin story. <laughs> it's just fun. It's, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what it is mm-hmm. about human nature that we're just like, how did it all begin? So opens up Paraguay, 1948, and even before this, we got to this point. The credits have already began. It has Alan Tudyk in it. Bless him. Has Brendan Fraser in it. Holy cow, that's awesome. And then as the show continues to go on, it just has a really great cast. But it opens up with Alan Tudyk talking about how he went to go see a Nazi, but not a Nazi, a cobbler, who also plays death in Supernatural. So here we have another Supernatural actor, which they just kind of filter out everywhere. And he, quote unquote, gave him superpowers, shoved him in a room. The mind is the limit, or the limit is the mind. And uh, we see him get shocked and kind of fall apart into these different pieces. And then we jump to a different time. It's Florida, it's 1988, and it's Brendan's bare white ass fucking the nanny. The ass of a hero. <laughs> the ass of a hero, and this awful mullet. And turns out he is a really uh, well-off driver. Him and his wife are obviously not in a good place. They have a little daughter who he loves to death. And you see his scene of like him kissing his wife before he gets in the car, and she says, crash and burn, babe love you too, gets in the car, he's having an okay race, and then suddenly the wife is like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm fucking your manager. And so she like, speaks into his headset, and he gets super mad, and tries to, you know, win, hits a car, and it, it has a blackout. So, presumably, he crashes. The next thing you see is this kind of very, you know, 90s digital readout, or what you would view, view as like a camera read, and someone's welding, and then someone is talking to this this camera, and what happened was Cliff died. The only thing they could salvage was his brain. And he is now Robot Man. Just this just st- very stoic looking Robot Man. That's uh, one of the people that's talking to him. I got excited about, again, I don't know his name, but all I know him from is Hot Fuzz. <laughs> Yet again, uh, he plays... It's, uh, T- Timmy Nor- Timothy North. He was also... Uh... Or maybe it's on Timothy North. I'm sorry if I'm wrong. Uh, no, Timothy Dalton. Excuse me. Dalton, yeah. But he was also a James Bond actor. Who cares about that? He was also <laughs> on Penny Dreadful. Yes, that's true too. <laughs> but so uh, I, I really like this actor as well. And I, his for me, me timing is very good. And he, he, he plays the chief and he's trying to coach Robot Man through stuff, trying to show him flashcards. Bird, up. Very simple words. And Robot Man sees a calendar. It says 1995. He's like, what the fuck is that? Lots of cursing this show. Very good. Mostly from Cliff and or Brendan. I probably will call him Brendan throughout this entire thing. And so he clearly knows words. And the chief is still trying to get very simple words. He's like, no. Where the fuck am I? What is this? Where's my family? Where's my wife? Blah, blah, blah. Gets forcefully shut down. Gets turned back on again. There's this really pretty lady who we come to know as Rita. And she's like, I believe in the truth. And Cliff, he has a good heart, but you need to know the truth. And she grabs a mirror and shows him what he looks like. He freaks out and she's like, okay, bye. And forcefully turns him off. <laughs> and Cliff comes around and is like, I told you he wasn't ready. And she just kind of shrugs. And she's like, we all deserve to know the truth. And she has this very 50s housewife vibe to her anyways. So we, let's see what happens next. Uh, <laughs> looking at my notes. Um... As, as you get to know more about him and as he wakes up and is remembering, he can only really remember bad things. He remembers fighting with his wife. He remembers his daughter crying. But the chief says, don't worry, good memories will come. As you continue to like remember stuff, things will even out. You'll be fine. But hey, you need some physical therapy now because you can't just lay around all day. Here, we're going to have hot-ass Matt Bomber come around. But you, you can't tell he's hot anymore because his face is wrapped up because he's negative, man. And he used to be a pilot in the 50s. But then he the, the, the airplane he was in got past Atmo, there was this, I don't know, Dark Phoenix fucking cloud that came in and absorbed into him, drops the plane, the plane crashes, and oh yeah, he's on fire, but he's fine. And... Well, b- besides the all-body all degree burns. Yeah, which is know. why he's wrapped up when he's not hot anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's fine, he fell, but and he's fine. in case fine. you weren't aware, Matt Bomber was on White Collar, he was on American Horror Story, and of course he was on Chuck as Bryce. So, but he also reminded me of uh, the Invisible Man from Extraordinary League of or League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but American. Like it's the same fucking look. It's the wrapped up. It has the sunglasses. It has the jacket. Uh, just different origin stories. Then we find out the origin story of Rita, and basically she was a actress in the fifties, and she was was kind of still is superficial as hell, very bratty, very extra. Gets someone kicked off the crew because he doesn't have, or he has an amputated arm. 
Next scene they do, she falls over and everyone is pissed at her for being a shit and getting rid of this guy who's the best at his job just because he was missing an arm. And they were all kind of ready to let her drown. But last minute they go and rescue her as she's frantically trying to get out of the water. She knocks loose something, a rock, and this green dark phoenix cloud <laughs> takes over her. And as she gets out of the water, she's, oh no, ugly fish monster. It gets so much worse later on. But like her face is melting and she has this weird club foot. And somehow, they don't talk about it, just somehow she finds the chief. And now she's normal, question mark? She's found a way to kind of make herself look pretty. And these three people just stay in the Doom Mansion because, you know, they can't really go out in public. They're rejects. They're, they, they're not normal, right? Uh, and we meet our... Or maybe it was at this point, they're all watching TV and I realize, man, this show feels a lot like the Umbrella Academy. There's a fucking reason, y'all. <laughs> uh, and There's I a think reason. Particularly the show seems a lot more based on the newest comics that have come out. Uh, Gerald Way wrote both Umbrella Academy and the newest run of Doom Patrol. So they just happen to have a very same similar feeling. And oh yeah, by the way, Umbrella Academy came out on Netflix on the same fucking day as Doom Patrol on the DC Universe. So I don't know who he had a blow to get that to happen, but go him, I guess. Anyways, at this point, uh, we're seeing the training happen with Robot Man, and he's trying to get the step over and over, and he's just knocking, can't get it. And Invisible Man's like, just think of something happy to do, or think of something happy, and it'll, and it'll get there and he thinks of his daughter who always loved to climb the stairs but she couldn't do it by herself and so he had to be a good dad and help her up the stairs and at this point i start tearing up because it is a well-known fact i have dad issues and this is like sweet father-daughter moment and i'm like oh my god he loves his kids so much and it's the motivation to get him to start walking again and he starts walking again yay and he goes to talk to the chief and the chief is and he says i need to go find my family i know they think i'm dead but we all deserve a chance to know the truth and to see what could happen. And the chief is like, well, you need to listen to this. And he plays this last voicemail like he left his wife. And it's like after, turns out he never died in that car crash or what we thought was the car crash. It's He, he narrowly avoids the car. He gets, he, he wins first place. And the way he celebrates is to beat up the fuck out of the guy who his wife maybe is sleeping with. I feel like the guy was protesting, like, no, no, I'm not. And the wife was just kind of using that to, to get the guy to crash. But, uh, and then he spends the, to celebrate, he gets all drunk and stuff with the nanny and fucks her in his trailer. And the mom and the daughter are at her parents' house. And he calls her and it's like, I'll do better. I'm so sorry. I don't know what happened to us. Because also he's thinking of how they used to be poor and live in an RV together and how much they loved their baby girl when she was first born. And then suddenly he became popular and, you know, fame ruins everything. But next thing you see is him picking up his wife and kid and his nice car. And he is trying to talk to his wife and says, you know, let's go get pancakes. And she suddenly screams and says, ask him to look out. There's, of course, is this awful log pulling truck and just... They, the car slides right under it, kills the wife, kills the kid, as far as we know. Uh, and the only thing they can sca uh, scavenge from Cliff is his brain. So that's why he is the sole survivor of that wreck. And also his will to fucking live. Because at this point we get this, like, time lapse of it's 1995. The next thing that you see him move from just standing and staring outside a window is 2016. I, like, you just definitely get the vibe. He just, just shuts down for that long time. And then, you know, a negative man brings in a race car track and he kind of snaps out of his fugue state and starts building up this ginormous r road with cityscapes and redoms and every now and again. It's like, oh, look at that new building. And they kind of start bonding over this race track. And then we meet Crazy Jane, which that's her fucking name. And she has 64 unique different personalities within her, although we only get to see two or three of them in this. And she just kind of storms in and Rita's like, she always comes in, like she owns the place. And Robot Man says, who? He's been there since 1995 and he's never met her. And she comes in all the time like she owns the place. I don't think so. Like that's, you don't get to say that about someone. And who knows, maybe during that fugue state, he just wasn't paying attention. I don't know. I just thought it was a weird line. Um, to, to be fair, I'll interject here. Yeah. You also remember Rita's from 1950, and she looks the exact same in 2019. And then you have Larry Trainer, who was a pilot in 1961, and he apparently is still the same age as well, too. So Superpowers. Superpowers. <laughs> Immortality. <laughs> that was the only thing I think of was like why they look that way. It must have been something to do with the accidents that happened, right? That kind mm -hmm. of made them the way they are. 
Particularly because I would say even for Rita and Larry, the negative man, is that they have this other force inside Mm -hmm. them. It's not just, you know, bitten by a radioactive spider. Mm -hmm. They have this other clear being inside them. So then we get to meet Crazy Jane and see all her different personalities of Hammerhead and the Hangman's daughter. There's one more too, but that was like a very brief one. We didn't get and, her name. Yeah. And and they all have their own unique superpower too. So Robot Man and Crazy Jane are talking outside and it's like they just talk all day and suddenly they're cool. They had a fight at the beginning, but now they're cool. Yay. But the person that plays Crazy Jane, again, I didn't look up the actress's name for this, but she's in Orange is the New Black and fuck, I should have looked up her name. She's adorable. She's a really great actress. And she makes a, this, I've never read the comics before, but I think she makes a really good Crazy Jane, where she has enough spitfire for it, but isn't making it tropey by any means. I, I think there's just a lot of genuine acting in it. She's, uh, oh, I'm going to botch that last name, uh, Diane Guerrero. Oh, cool. So yeah, she, she's in Orange is the New Black, and she's also one of my favorite characters in Orange is the New Black. So it was nice to see her in something else. The chief runs out of town because to go save this this mysterious mysterious things afoot, you got to keep an eye on it. And everyone kind of mouths along with them. He's like, "Okay, you're good. See you, Dad." He goes off. The next day, we have also Alan Tudyk still narrating on occasion, and he's like, "The chief is gone, so they can do literally anything." And you see Cliff playing with his cars, and you see Larry playing with some plants, and just like being very mellow, literally anything. Anything at all. And then Crazy Jane's like, oh, hey, we have this bus. Let's go to town. We're not ready to go to town. Let's go to town. So it's kind of this Borderlands bus moment. I don't know. And, and they go and they each kind of have their own little side adventure that, of course, goes haywire. Rita goes to a diner. It turns out the waitress actually recognizes her in the sense of, you look just like Rita Hayworth, maybe. Rita Farr. Rita Farr. <laughs> Rita Hayworth is a real actress, I think. Um, Rita Farr and talked about how she grew up watching those movies with her dad and Rita's like tell me about it about my dad oh no 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 talk about me very good line stroke my ego (laughs) (laughs) and uh turns out that after she she had to quit that movie halfway through someone replaced her and then what happened as far as the world is concerned is that Rita started doing porn that's like that's the only context we have that there's a lot of Rita porn out there that stresses her out her face starts getting melty she starts getting club foot Meanwhile, Jane and Cliff go to the a toy store because he's missed his daughter's birthday for 30 years. And he gets to explain, oh yeah, no, my daughter's dead. And Jane's like, well, uh, are you sure about that? Who's proof? The Chiefs? Yeah, there's at least three Claire, whatever their last name is, in the area. We can just use Google to find out. And he gets really mad, destroys her phone. The cops come over and are like, hey, is there a problem here? Then Hammerhead comes out and just starts to start fucking with cops, which is always a bad idea. And I think uh, Robot Man, Brandon's character here, is just so relatable because he's just like, oh my fuck. Like, fuck this, fuck that. And just is a lot of casual cursing of what the fuck's going on. And tired. He's a very tired man. (laughs) He doesn't he doesn't feel anything. He's gonna be tired because he has like no brain stimulation. Right? <laughs> He's just like, oh fuck. <laughs> and and Larry's kind of reluctant. He hides in the bus for a while before going to the bar. And there's some comment about like everyone's staring at him like he's a monster, but he's used to that because oh yeah, by the way, despite him being married and having two kids, he also liked men. I say despite. We know sexuality is a spectrum. Also it was a different mm-hmm. time. There's a lot we could go into. Nineteen fifties. We we're yeah. not that kind of podcast. Um <laughs> Don't worry, the show will be that for you. <laughs> and so find out that, you know, he had to hide this part of him, so he's kind of used to being judged anyways. And as Rita's leaving the diner, she it's not just that she becomes this kind of part monster, she becomes this living blob that is just on a rampage and going through town, knocking over light posts and just causing chaos throughout the streets. And Hammerhead and Cliff come around the corner like, oh, we should do something about this. And she transforms into this giant fire babe. And he's like, not that. Whatever that is, not that. So she drops back down. And Larry realizes, or he has like this weird blue glow happening. And he's like, oh no, I gotta get out of here. So it's almost like a nuke bomb of some sort. He starts running. Doesn't get quite make it out of town in time for it to shoot off and start causing trouble around town too. Cliff, to save a bus of children, has to lift up the road to stop the blob from eating stuff. And she's like, I'm ready to go home. And he's like, yeah, me too. Let's go ahead and go home. Somehow they go home and they're trying to pretend like nothing happened as dad comes back. But of course, there's news everywhere. Dad finds out that they've been, you know, criming on accident and they get a huge lecture. But also it turns out uh, Chief Dad uh, found some trouble and that they're all in trouble and they need to run immediately. And this trouble's coming to town. 
and Cliff is the only one who says, uh, actually, we should probably save the people. And everyone else is like, no, let's go ahead and get out of here. I'm with, I'm with Chief. Let's party. Let's bounce. So everyone leaves except for Cliff, who goes to town to fight the big bad. Crazy Jane is driving the bus, and she's the one who seemed to have the reverse conscience of, you know, I don't really give a shit about this small town, but we should probably go help Cliff. And Rita's like, all right, but I can't promise else, or I won't get hideous again. And Larry's kind of just along for the ride. And Chief, poor Chief, who's in his wheelchair, is also along for the ride. They freaking do a Yui. They drive back, and they all get out of the car in time to kind of see an empty street, leaving the Chief alone on the bus. And then you see Alan Tuick's character come back, who I haven't been talking about it, but he's had a lot of good one-liners. And the very beginning of the episode was saying, oh, you're just thinking this is going to be another superhero show. And how fucking tired are we of that? And et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what was the other really good one that he had in there too of, what the fuck do critics know? They're going to hate this show anyways. Yeah, they're going to hate this show. <laughs> and it's, just, it's very self-aware. And I really appreciate that about the show. But he shows up and he's still in that fragmented state. And it's like he has these black pieces with this blue glow outline. And it's missing half his face. And clearly him and Chief are nemesis. And they have, Chief has had other people, rescued other people before. And Mr. Nobody, Alan Tudyk's character, has destroyed them before. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not going to kill, kill them this time. Let's have some fun. And he just like snaps his fingers and this whirlwind cyclone thing breaks up the middle of the street and it's getting bigger and bigger and sucking up the town. And there's also a donkey who we see at the beginning of the episode and kind of makes a few appearances with Chief around who walks center stage, farts a big gas cloud and has the this cloud spells out, the mind is the limit. I like, this is our closing thing. Oh, and the last line from Mr. Nobody is, you're right in one thing. They are quite doomed. And then we get credits. And I, that was the first episode. Like, that was the it, first was, it was not bad. <laughs> so yeah, no, for a superhero show, it was really good. Uh, it did feel a bit like a mix of Watchmen meets Suicide Squad. And then it also gave me Umbrella Academy vibes at some point, too. Just this group group of heroes that are kind of clunky and weird living under the same space and trying to make the best of what they have. Seemed maybe a little bit more uplifting than Umbrella Academy, but also Umbrella Academy is the downslope of a group of heroes, right? Where this is mm-hmm. the start of a group of heroes. Mm. <laughs> heroes. He- heroes. <laughs> Watchmen, Suicide Squad, matchup. Like, the, the, the heroes of our story, whether they right. are good at what they do or not. Yeah. No, it was just, it was enjoyable. The dialogue Dialogue slash the show only maybe lost me in the last five to ten minutes. Once the city scene kind of happened, I wish they would have ended at the start of the city chaos. I would have that wish that could have been more filled out than just yeah. the five, ten minutes they gave it. And then the rushed, we're running out of town. But actually, we're going to go back for Cliff. Like, that whole last third act, I guess, was rushed. A little forced, yeah. yeah. But the costume design was really good. The cinematography was beautiful. I really liked it for for a pilot, for a superhero show, for a platform that isn't necessarily thriving. It was pretty good. Yep. <laughs> you got to see the better side of uh, DC Universe this time versus Swamp Thing. I, uh, I did a, a deep dive on this as far as history of the show or history of the comics, more importantly. And I'm sending out quotes of stuff to Ethan. I'm like, I can't believe this. What the fuck is this? What's this? And he's like, oh, so you're just reading show description. I'm like, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're just reading. You're just reading the episode synopsis. Really? I was like, oh, uh, no, 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 definitely not. <laughs> I was reading just the like comic, which I, you know, of course, there's going to be overlap, but it seemed like the stuff quoting is like, oh, mm-hmm. they're just pulling the top hits of the Doom Patrol storylines, not necessarily one consistent. Like, it's not um, Infinity Stones or it's not Civil War. Like it's 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 mm-hmm. seeming to cherry pick what they wanted to talk about, which I think is smart since DC has a tendency to not have a huge fan base at times and that mm-hmm. they could have been dropped at any point, right? So at least they get to tell some of the fan favorites and maybe yeah. a short condensed version, but at least it's still an mm-hmm. hour. It's not 30 minutes. I like to think it's kind of like how, you know, obviously Marvel did Guardians of the Galaxy and that was kind of a little bit more of a sleeper mm-hmm. unknown team per se. You get that with the Doom Patrol. I mean, even when I heard they were doing a Doom Patrol one, I was mainly excited because one, they were going to have you know, Brendan Fraser in it because I knew that much. And then I kind of knew all those characters because unfortunately I watched like the first <laughs> half of Titans and they kind of had a backdoor pilot gotcha. for Doom Patrol in there when they had Beast Boy. And then Beast Boy goes off with the Titans, but they had a different actor for Chief at the time. And the way they kind of display it, like these, that crew is a little bit more happy go lucky, but they're happier to be there. So it's definitely like in a weird timeline where 
Cliff's just sitting in that room for like 20 years, apparently. But yeah. And then negative man, Larry seems a lot more chipper because in the in the Titans kind of backdoor pilot, he's flipping pancakes and dancing uh, in the kitchen and stuff and like just having a good time. It was like, a little oh, dead he's pulley. not that mopey. <laughs> yeah, he's a little bit more mopier in this show so far. Seriously, now all I'm thinking is that infamous Deadpool panel, like, oh, nothing like the smell of a million pancakes in the morning. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious about Titans, only because I know it's not great. It's kind of cool, though, that they d- did the backdoor pilot with Beast Boy potentially joining Doom Patrol, because, again, that was a storyline for a while of how Beast Boy was mm-hmm. in Doom Patrol for a brief amount of time. And, yeah, no, I'm I'm curious to watch more. Mm-hmm. I, I mentioned at the beginning of this, I started a bunch of shows right before this, so who knows when I'll watch the rest of it. Who knows? At least you don't have to watch it weekly if you don't want to, because right. when I watched it, I was waiting week by week, and that's unfortunate in today's society. <laughs> and it's a good enough show that I think that would have been really frustrating. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I want to, I want to watch mm-hmm. it all right now. Mm-hmm. I'll say this to entice you to continue watching it: that donkey at the end of that episode, they get sucked up its butt. <gasps> oh. Oh. So that's what happens in the next episode. They spoilers. literally <laughs> spoilers. They literally title each episode from here on out after the pilot something patrol. So it's like oh. insert name here and it's it's pretty funny. Oh cool. And then they have like I think the end is like Doom Doom Patrol or something Doom, like Doom that. Patrol. Or Doom Patrol Patrol. <laughs> I like it. Mm-hmm. Um I obviously so I asked you this like when the thread when you finished it the other night, mm-hmm. but out of out of that crew, who was your favorite uh character out of all that? And that same thread, I was like, uh, what, three guesses, first two don't count. Mm-hmm. I definitely have a brand, and I really, really enjoyed Crazy Jane in this. Ethan thought it was going to be Rita, which she wasn't wrong. I was loving Rita until Crazy Jane hit the screen. Mm-hmm. Femme Fatale, Stone Cold Bitches, fucking love them. But I also love Dirty Street Rat Orphan Gals. Like, both of them. I'm a Gemini. I'm allowed to like both. <laughs> <laughs> and I think a lot of it was her acting for Jane. That really sold that character for me because it's so easy to portray a mental illness, quote unquote, DID Mm -hmm. in this really wackadoodle, offensive way. But it was so genuine and each character had its own. It didn't feel like it was Crazy Jane trying to be Hammerhead. Like that was Hammerhead. Mm -hmm. That was Hangman's Mm -hmm. daughter. They each had such a different, like even facial expression. Hangman's daughter had a unibrow. Um, Hammerhead has like a chest tattoo piece and everything. Like they actually go the extra mile to show that her superpowers actually like her appearance does change with her each personality and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. I also really liked Cliff. Again, that kind of just tired dad thing. I, I I'm not quite a sad dead person. I was still and always will be Spencer, but I just the amount of casuals. What the fuck? The fuck is going on? It was so, I think normal. Like that's what anyone mm-hmm. else would be thinking of. Yeah, yeah. When he looks at the calendar and and Niles is just trying to have him say look, and he's like fuck. No, look. <laughs> Fuck. 1995? <laughs> Fuck. What? The- no, no, look. <laughs> I, I think of Portal 2. Okay, can you jump? Or oh, whoa, eat the apple. No, what you're doing? That's jumping. <laughs> That's jumping. But you're still jumping. You to eat the apple. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, yeah. No, it was yeah. well done and all the characters are interesting. I don't think there's anyone mm-hmm. that I was least interested in necessarily. And you didn't even get to meet Cyborg yet. I know. He shows up in the next episode. I wonder if they did the pilot. They're like, you know what? We need one more character to flesh this out. And, you know, but. There is kind of the magic. You either do three or five. It's Things mm-hmm. are usually better in odd numbers. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think they do really well. Because obviously you've got Rita, you've got Cliff, you've got Larry, and then you've got Crazy Jane. And then mm-hmm. you've got Niles, and then you've got Cyborg. So technically you have six, but they do they do a lot of play with that, especially. And yeah, the way you describe those characters, I can't wait for if you do continue it. I think you're you get pretty much you get solid performances for each one of those characters and just like story in general, because I think you're right. It's definitely not, as they say in the first like lines, it's not a fucking superhero show. (laughs) It's it's these wannabe superheroes like Cliff is the Mm -hmm. only one that's kind of like, oh, we should be heroes, you know, and everyone's like fucking why why we're too damaged <laughs> Screw to those take, guys <laughs> we're too damaged to take care of ourselves let alone an entire town i i really like that concept for doom patrol too and it's kind of their selling point as far as when they're trying to sell their comics is these are these are super superheroes quote unquote they're people who have been transformed but they're accidents and they don't want it and it's just them trying to get by day to day with mm-hmm. the trauma that they've experienced and it reminded me almost like a dc x-men 
as far as the mutant conversation of like they didn't pick this lifestyle i don't think it's necessarily a comment on a, on a queer community necessarily but i think it's way more focused on the mental health whether they meant to or not back in the day yeah. of just hey people experience stuff and they can't change of who they are afterwards and mm-hmm. how we treat them as a society isn't always great and i think that's particularly heavy-handed with crazy jane but deformities with rita and and all of them i guess necessarily have a really physical deformity so war vets and how we treat anyone that just is different than us and when they just didn't choose it it's not their fault and they have to Mm -hmm. live with this every day yep and i think even when niles brings it back to at the end there he's like your actions have consequences so even it just shows there like the choices they led up to those moments before they had their accidents or anything, those actions led them to that moment. Granted, I think the one that wasn't directly affected per se is, I mean, you got two characters that aren't necessarily directly affected by anything outside source, and that's Cliff and Crazy Jane, obviously, with that. So they both kind of had their own thing to begin with. Cliff, on the other hand, he was going to be dead until Niles came along. And they all owe it to Niles because he helped, you know, rehabilitate or help them, so... Good doctor in that sense. Yeah. I think I'm ready to give it a rating. Mm-hmm. Out of uh, out of 64 personalities, <laughs> uh, what would you rate it as? I would rate it, oof. See, I, w- I wanted to go to another nerd joke of 42 out of 64, mm. but it definitely was better than 42. Mm. I think we're going to go with 53 out of 64. 53 out of 64. Yes. What do you and think it was lacking that would have improved that score? I struggle with bad dialogue. That is something that will always get me every time. So if a show has really clunky dialogue, it makes it hard for me to want to continue. Mm-hmm. And there were some scenes that were really well scripted out. And despite my thing of liking Cliff's cursing, there's times too where it's just a little too much. Yeah, that kind of carries on into the rest of the show a little bit too. But yeah, I get it. And again, I think you're talking about how the last 10, 20 minutes of the show is a little forced, a little rushed, could have spent another episode. Those are things that could have made the episode better mm-hmm. but for a pilot it's really not bad it's also nice that we didn't spend a half a season doing origin stories either right we didn't watch a whole movie of thor getting a single origin story they managed to keep it concise but entertaining yeah so sounds like you're hooked enough that you're probably going to continue with it then yeah i think so i really did enjoy it and i'm not sure if it's going to be immediate although i said that about fleabag too and then whoops <laughs> oops one season later <laughs> One season later. It was an easy show to binge, okay? It's only eight uh, episodes long. Exactly. This one, I think, is like 13, if I recall. So. And they're longer episodes. Mm-hmm. So I, I look forward to it, but as the semester is starting to kick off, because, hey, guys, in case you forgot, we've recorded these super early. As the semester is starting to kick off, I might have to, you know, forego some of my binging qualities so I can do homework. Because it's also not a show that I can just put on the background. This is a show I actually want to pay attention to for yeah, the most part. It's, it's hard. <laughs> Trust me. I, I tried. I accidentally was so exhausted. I tried to put it on and I fell asleep halfway through. I was like, oh, I oh, missed no. some stuff. Because <laughs> like, I woke up like in the last 10 minutes. I was like, oh, shit happened. Oops. <laughs> Let's just uh, rewind this. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, everybody. I think it's time that we give this a wrap. And do our thank yous and shout outs. So first off, thank you to the band The Spin Wires for their use of their song The Astronaut off their album Lights Off. You can find me, I'm Alex, on Twitter at Roll for Alex. And I'm Ethan, and you can find me on Everything That Matters with the name E. Tay Shaw. And you know, hey, if you have some strong opinions about Midnight Texas and all of its wonderful, awful pilot glory, or hey, <sighs> You want to come get mad at me over my interpretation of comics for Doom Patrol? You can come let us know how wrong we are, even though we know we're right. Let me know how TV is better improved with people in their underwear. <laughs> All right, let's say goodbye. All right. Bye, bye now. Bye-bye. Bye bye. We'll see you around. Take care.